Once upon a time, in a world exactly like our own, but just a bit younger, women's bodies were considered so mysterious, so strange and inexplicable, that our organs were believed to be capable of moving around in our bodies of their own volition. The uterus, in particular, was thought to roam around the abdomen, causing a wide and mystifying array of distressing symptoms like nervousness, insomnia, faintness, a tendency to cause trouble, and even sexual desire. For thousands, yes, thousands of years, top medical professionals documented accounts of wandering wounds and their effects. The oldest known ancient Egyptian medical text, the Cahoon Gynecological Papyrus, which was written in 1800 BCE, mentions the strange affliction, as does the Hippocratic Corpus, a text written in the 5th century BCE in ancient Greece. Plato's Timaeus, which was written in the 4th century BCE, describes the uterus as a living creature which moves around the body blocking passages, obstructing breathing, and causing disease. The medical name eventually given to this condition was hysteria, from the Greek hysterikos, meaning womb, and the cure for it sounded like this. That's right. What we now use as a recreational sex toy was originally imagined as a way to stop a woman's womb from wandering. Enter the strange and fantastical history of the vibrator. Welcome to Psychologia, the scientific exploration of the strange and pathological. I'm your host, Amaya Perda. The Greek physician Hippocrates believed that the symptoms of hysteria, fatigue, nervousness, and depression, were literally caused by a wandering uterus and given the science of the time, it was as logical an assumption as anything else. As an apparent solution to this ailment, dildos appeared. They were called olispos, and they were made of wood or leather. Olive oil, a staple of the Greek diet, was used as lube. These devices were quite basic, but legend has it that some people got a bit more creative. My favorite ancient sex toy story, and this one is probably apocryphal, comes to us from Cleopatra, the famous and infamous Queen of the Nile, who ruled ancient Egypt from 51 to 30 BCE. Her sexual proclivities have been talked about for centuries and have been featured in countless bits of titillating entertainment. But one thing you may not have heard about is her apparent invention of the vibrator. According to myth, Cleopatra designed the first buzzing sex toy by filling a hollow gourd with live bees. In all likelihood, this is an urban legend. Dildos were already in common use by this point, and she probably used them instead. But it's hard to let go of the image of the notorious leader, so-called Queen of Kings, 
lover of Mark Antony and drinker of pearls, according to another favorite legend, calling for her squash full of buzzing insects to be brought to her bed. By the 2nd century AD, the Roman physician Galen, most famous for his theories on the four humors, was telling people that hysteria was caused by sexual deprivation. According to Galen, married women should cure the condition by having sex with their husbands, but religious or unmarried women and widows should turn instead to pelvic massage. Galen devised a technique for this massage and recounted its effects in this manner. Following the remedies and arising from the touch of the genital organs required by the treatment, there followed twitchings, accompanied at the same time by pain and pleasure, after which she emitted turbid and abundant sperm. From that time on, she was free of all the evil she felt. His methods were followed by physicians for centuries. The Middle Ages saw a slight change in the way hysteria was perceived, and it began to be called suffocation of the mother. In the 12th century, a three-part compendium on women's health emerged in the city of Salerno in Italy. It was called the Trotula, and it included a book about the conditions of women, one about the treatment of women, and a third about cosmetics. The text blamed hysteria on the retaining of blood or of corrupt and venomous uterine humors that should be purged in the same way that men are purged of seed. It recommended marriage, sex, and pelvic massage, as well as fragrant herbaceous salves and suppositories. The technique continued into the Renaissance era when French physician Ambroise Paré said that married patients should be strongly encountered by their husbands, and unmarried women should have a midwife rub or tickle the top of the neck of the womb with ointments. It wasn't until 1660, 17 centuries after Cleopatra's rumored bee-powered vibrator, that the term orgasm finally made it into the hysteria conversation. Nathaniel Highmore, an English surgeon, publicly used the word to describe the release experienced by women after all these pelvic massages. In 1681, Dr. Thomas Sydenham, also English, wrote that hysteria was the most common disease other than fever, and that it was the cause of a sixth of all human illness. Because of its prevalence, he stated, there is rarely a woman who is wholly free from it. choose a time that was truly the high point for hysteria, it would have to be the Victorian era, which began in the 1830s and continued right up through the turn of the century. Around this time, French doctor Pierre Briquet claimed that 25% of women suffered from hysteria, and the repression of women in society, as well as the physical repression caused by corsets and layers upon layers of heavy clothing, brought about a new set of symptoms to go along with the familiar issues of nervousness, faintness, and fatigue. 
Women started being diagnosed with something called chlorosis, or green sickness, which was probably anemia, or maybe even just a learned behavior. It caused women to turn pale and weak, and according to some, slightly green. Interestingly, it completely disappeared by the 1920s and is now considered to have been a social construct as much as anything else. We'll be talking about it later this season when we look at diseases that no longer exist. Around the same time came the appearance of neurasthenia, a brand new sickness that doctors believed was caused by the stress of modern life. According to Freud, symptoms of neurasthenia included fatigue, dyspepsia, flatulence, intracranial pressure, and spinal irritation. Together with hysteria, this group of three illnesses became known as the hysteroneurasthenic disorders. The hysteroneurasthenic disorders. Among the treatments for these disorders was manual massage of the vulva and clitoris. The release experienced by women at the end of the massages was known as hysterical paroxysm. Oh my gosh! Masturbation was considered sinful and even harmful, so these massages were performed by medical doctors. The treatment was temporary, of course, so women were often returning to the doctor's office for more massages and hysterical paroxysms. The procedure was exhausting for the doctors, however, who in some cases reported tendinitis and other repetitive motion injuries. Clearly, another method was needed. Around this time, hydrotherapy gained tremendous popularity, and spas all over Europe and the United States began offering the douche, which was exactly what it sounds like, a spray of water directed at the pelvic and genital area. The icon for this episode on our website is an illustration of this treatment. In his 1909 text, Practical Hydrotherapy, a manual for students and practitioners, Dr. Curran Pope wrote that it sets the tissues in a vibration impossible to describe. Experienced, it is never forgotten. Because of this memorable effect, hydrotherapy was considered the best possible cure for hysteria for decades. I'm sure at this point you're starting to wonder about vibrators. We've pussyfooted around them for a while now and explored numerous methods for bringing about hysterical paroxysm and outright orgasm, but now it's time to get to the real deal nuts and bolts mechanical wonders we might almost recognize today. In 1869, while hydrotherapy was still widely in use, an American doctor named George Taylor came up with another way to use water. His manipulator was the first steam-powered vibrating pelvic massager, and it was big and powerful and cumbersome. In fact, it was a huge table with a cutout in the middle in which a vibrating sphere stuck up. A woman could lie on the table and position herself so that her vulva was resting on the sphere, which would move rapidly side to side. The machine was so effective that Taylor warned that women should be supervised in order to prevent overindulgence. 
It took less than 20 years for the first electromechanical vibrator to appear on the scene, patented by Dr. Joseph Mortimer Granville in 1882. The battery that powered it weighed over 40 pounds, and the apparatus was produced by a British medical manufacturer named Weiss. According to Granville, the device was not meant to treat hysterical women, but rather was meant to be used on men's muscles. But other doctors were excited about the chance to use a machine for the exhausting task of giving women hysterical paroxysms. As you may imagine, the battery-powered device was a big hit. By the turn of the century, doctors were raving about its efficiency, and at the 1900 Paris Exposition, over a dozen models were displayed, selling for $5 all the way up to 200 in 1902, the vibrator became the fifth home appliance to be electrified, coming after the sewing machine, the fan, the kettle, and the toaster. It would be another decade before even the vacuum cleaner would get the same modern improvement. In 1906, Dr. Samuel Spencer Wallian praised the electronic vibrator because in five to ten minutes, it could achieve the same results that manual massage took a painstaking hour to accomplish. During the 1910s and 20s, women's magazines promoted vibrators as necessary for beauty, health, and anti-aging, saying that they would make, quote, all the pleasures of youth throb within you. It was around this time that vibrators finally became recognized as sexual devices and began to appear in pornography being used in very non-medical ways. In this time period, the late 1920s, female sexuality also became more public and was explored more freely. All of this meant that it was pretty much impossible to keep touting the little electric wonder as a purely medical treatment, and its use in advertising was driven out of mainstream culture. By the 1950s, ads for massagers all but vanished from women's magazines, as did, finally, the term hysteria, which was dropped by the American Psychological Association in 1952 at the printing of the DSM-1, although strangely it was included in the DSM-2. With the arrival of the swinging 60s, the vibrator had a predictable resurgence, becoming a symbol of women's sexual empowerment. <laughs> By the 21st century, it was once again ubiquitous, and its popularity was now clearly due to its sexual application. A 2009 study revealed that 53% of women and 45% of men had used one, and those who reported doing so had happier sex lives and were more responsible about sexual health. This doesn't mean that they are completely accepted by the mainstream, however. At the time of this podcast, in 2018, Alabama still has a law on the books that makes the sale of sex toys illegal. Bizarrely, the law, which is known as the Anti-Obscenity Enforcement Act, does allow for vibrators which are purchased for a bona fide medical, scientific, educational, legislative, judicial, or law enforcement purpose, whatever that means. So sex toy stores just have buyers sign a form stating that they need the device for one of these reasons, and bam, the sale is legal. 
So, at least some people are actually benefiting from millennia of questionable, sexist science, after all. Thank you for listening to Psychologia. This episode was created and produced by me, Amaya Perda, with original sound design and music composition by Cambrin Carter. Our special guest star today was Mario Rivera. If you like what we do, please take a moment to write us a review. It really helps us out. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Psychologia Podcast or Twitter at Psychologia Pod. And visit our website for links to source materials or to subscribe to the Psychologia Report at psychologiapodcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another scientific exploration of the strange and pathological. <laughs>